are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. A good Friday show for you heading into the weekend. Just going to be a lot of NBA talk. The draft last night, my thoughts on the draft, my thoughts on some of the players, college basketball going into the NBA draft, the things that we see now. Just different from when I was growing up, but still can appreciate it. Uh, the other thing I wanted to probably, and maybe if we get to it at the end, the Oakland A's are at it again, and I absolutely love it. So we will get to that momentarily. So the NBA draft last night in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center, I wouldn't say that there was any giant surprises. You read a lot of the reviews of what happened last night during the draft. There wasn't anybody that really went totally off the board or made a pick that everyone's like, whoa, where did that come from? I mean, based on what I was reading pre draft maybe the magic taking jet howard at 11 was a bit much most people had him pegged early 20s mid 20s so he might have been taken 10 to 15 picks earlier than he should but if you look at a lot of the mock drafts a lot of them nailed all these guys maybe not to the right team but within one or two or you know one to four places of when they were actually drafted i'm talking first round stuff Second round, it's kind of a, it's almost impossible to know that. But, and you can't predict who's going to trade who because if somebody trades, then they're trading for a specific reason, all this stuff. Anyway, Victor Wembanyama obviously went first. And, you know, you see a lot of talk about him last night. You saw him emotional when he was sitting down for his interview. You saw all the highlight clips of him. And I think this is what we're going to say. And, you know, I've talked about Victor Wembanyama nonstop for the last, Oh, gosh, you know, a couple weeks leading up to this. Here is my kind of ultimate take on Victor Wembanyama and how he projects out in the NBA. I think he's a generational player. I think that any failures that he may have on the NBA level will have nothing to do with basketball. This is going to come down to can this kid stay healthy? Because when you're 7'5 and you weigh 210, Yes, he's 19. He's going to put on weight. But right now, you just worry about the wear and tear of an 82-game season. He's never had to play that many games. The physicality of the NBA, the travel. That's what it comes down to with him. Nobody's ever going to doubt. No, no, I don't think there's a chance in hell that Victor Wembanyama gets to the NBA and averages six points and four rebounds playing 30 to 35 minutes a night. No. His game translates to the NBA. There's no way he's going to fail basketball-wise. The only thing that's going to hold him back is health. And people that are that big, that move like him, I, the problem is there's really no comps for him. We've never seen anyone his height do this. So you almost want to say, like, I, I guess maybe Chet Holmgren from last year, and gosh, you hate to bring that up because Chet Holmgren – literally broke his foot in summer league last year and never played a game for OKC last season. And that's exactly pretty much what Victor Wembanyama does. Chet's 7'2 or 7'3, Victor's 7'5. They're both all arms and legs. They both have giant feet, but they can rebound, block shots, handle the ball, bring it up court. I think Wembanyama's an even better ball handler than Chet Holmgren. But I'm just as fascinated to see Chet Holmgren come this NBA season because we never got to see him play. I think people have forgotten what a unicorn and a freak he was coming out of Gonzaga. 
and now we finally get to see him play. We saw him play two, three summer league games, and that was it. And he was really good in those summer league games. He had some impressive moves. Now, we just don't know. And I'm telling you, it's all going to come down to health with Victor. And you see this kid, and you see he's got a head on his shoulders. He's not super cocky. He's grounded, good family. The way he answered the questions, I mean, you heard the podcast yesterday when I played you his audio from him being on with J.J. Redick and the three Old Man and the Three podcast. You just, you want this guy to succeed. I, I'm not a Spurs fan. I don't care about the Spurs. As I've told you, my sports teams are the Lakers and Dodgers. I'm a fan of players and coaches, and I'm also a fan of stories. I like good stories. This kid is a great story, and I want to see him succeed. You know, I'm not going to go out and buy a jersey, but if Victor Wembanyama gets hurt, I'm going to be bummed. Not because I'm some cheerleader for the guy, but I want to see this in the NBA. I want to see great players playing in the league, generational players playing in the league, and he's one of them. I think one thing about the NBA draft now versus when I was growing up in the 80s, 90s, even early 2000s, Obviously, the biggest change is the fact that you only have to play one year in college and you can go to the NBA. And it's been this way for, I don't know, what is it, 15, 20 years, whatever it is. But in the 80s and 90s, when the NBA draft rolled around, you felt like I know who all these players are that are getting drafted if you watched college basketball. Because most, even the greatest players in college basketball, stuck around for at least three years, sometimes four years. So every time you got to the NBA draft, it was a bunch of seniors who came out or who were done with their eligibility and then sprinkled throughout the 30 first-round picks. There's maybe three or four foreign guys that you're just like, oh, I never heard of them or seen them play. Now it's the other way around. Is that most of the guys that you saw drafted last night didn't play more than a year in college basketball if any of them played college basketball. Victor, Victor Wembanyama, overseas. Brandon Miller, one year at Alabama. Scoot Henderson, played in the G League. Amen and Osar Thompson, G League players. Anthony Black, one year at Arkansas. Jarris Walker, one year at Houston. Taylor Hendricks, I believe he played a few years in college, and he was the ninth pick. Just the first player, the first player drafted yesterday that played more than one year in college was ninth. Kaysen Wallace, one year at Kentucky. Jet Howard, what are one or two years in college? Derek Lively, one year at Duke. Grady Dick, one year at Kansas. Jordan Hawkins, I think two years at UConn. It just So that's the difference. You just don't have as much of a connection to these players. So all these players that are getting drafted, you're kind of seeing highlights maybe for the first time. You're like, wow, this kid's pretty good. And it's, it's just... You don't connect as much, and I understand that the NBA is its just different. It's different than it was in the 80s and 90s where all these guys in the draft, you're just like, yeah, you followed their career. The Christian Leitners, the Shaquille O'Neals, the Alonzo Mornings, those guys, when they, you're just like, okay, I know these guys and they're getting drafted. I mean, how many people last night truly watching the NBA draft last night have watched Scoot Henderson play basketball? Probably 1%. You know, the diehards most certainly did. But not many people are pulling up G League games on their computer or on a streaming service or wherever the hell it airs. I watched a few of his games online, 
and he's really, really good. It would have been great to see. I Yeah, I, I'm bummed, but I understand this is the way it is now. I would have loved to seen Scoot Henderson and the Thompson Twins go to college, even if just for a year, because that would have made the NCAA tournament that much better. You know, I just uh, of these players who played in the NCAA tournament, Brandon Miller did, Anthony Black did, Jarris Walker did, Kaysen Wallace did, Derek Lively did, Grady Dick, but not a ton. So that's the biggest difference, and it's it's a little disappointing, but hey, I just want to see these guys on the next level as well. But I understand people who w- turn on the NBA draft now and are like, who are these guys? Yeah, because if you don't watch G League basketball or you don't watch overseas basketball, you're literally watching guys who played one year in college and you couldn't develop any sort of, you know, as I talked about when March Madness rolls around this year, most people don't start paying attention to college basketball until the Super Bowl is over. So you really don't start watching it until February. And then you're towards the end of conference season, then you watch the conference tournaments, and then you watch March Madness. But there's so many one and dunners now that enter the NBA draft, and it's like, okay. Like, look, I can I can tell you honestly, I can't say I've watched Taylor Hendricks play a lot of basketball. He played at UCF, but when they were introducing the group of 20 guys that were there, or however many it was, 20 or 25, that were actually there at the draft last night, and they gave like a one-sentence spiel about their background or whatever they want. When they had introduced Taylor Hendricks, they said, oh, I'm sorry, he was a, he was a one-year. He was another one-and-dunner. They said, University of Central Florida, an all-freshman American Athletic Conference selection. Like, that's who's getting drafted in the top ten. A kid who played one year in college at UCF, not a, not a powerhouse school in college basketball, and he was a all freshman team selection in the American Athletic Conference. And he gets taken ninth. That's what I mean. You know? You're like, uh, okay. <laughs> a guy who made the all freshman conference team is a top 10 pick? Back in the day, your drafts were stacked with three and four year guys, like juniors and seniors that have played in the tournament for, you know, might have played in the tournament all four years, won a national championship or two. We're all Americans. The ninth pick in last night's draft made the all-freshman team in the American Athletic Conference. It's just kind of funny, and it's it's disappointing, but I understand. This is the way it is. It's just one and done. And pretty soon, high schoolers are going to be allowed to jump straight to the NBA. So we're not even going to have one and dunners anymore. There's probably going to be more kids drafted in the NBA draft that you have never seen play in future drafts. So get ready for that. But, you know, with all these younger guys coming into the NBA draft, 18, 19-year-olds, one year in college, maybe one year in the G League, two years in the G League, whatever it may be, J.J. Redick actually brought up this point on ESPN last night, and I thought it was an interesting point, and it made sense. He said, I can't remember a draft where we had this many tears from the players that were drafted. And he goes, I, and I love it. And, I, and I'm sitting at home watching the same thing, and I'm like, yeah, that's, I think it's great. And maybe because they are teenagers. These are 18- and 19-year-olds experiencing their dream. And, and yeah, maybe in the past you had a – 
21 or 22-year-old that also was brought to tears. But it seemed like every guy that was picked was crying. And these guys all knew they were getting picked. You know, it just then it hits you. You're in that moment. You're sitting with your family. You're in your just wild-ass suits. I mean, there were some fucking suits last night on those guys. It seems like they're all trying to outdo each other in the the suit department. Grady Dick won last night. It wasn't even close with his uh, ruby red, shiny red jacket, which was a tribute to Wizard of Oz, I guess. But, yeah, you're watching it, and you're like, it's actually cool to see these guys brought to tears uh, when they're drafted because you know there is a lot of sweat equity that went into getting them to where they are. And I can't say, look, obviously people cried in the past in drafts, but I really felt like seven of the top ten picks all broke down, you know, when they got picked. And I think that probably has to do with an age factor, that they are young. And then you just wonder, because the NBA, these guys all have skill, but there's so much more to succeeding in the NBA than just having basketball skills. One, you have to go to the right program. You have to go to the right organization, meaning you have to fit in. You know, you might think, oh, we drafted him because he fills a need. And then you get there on the team and you're like, you already got three guys that are just like him. So it comes down to that. It comes down to also mentally how tough you are because an 82-game season is something none of these guys have played. If your team made it to the national championship game in college, you played 38 games in college. You're doing two and a half times that, essentially, or a little over two times that going to the NBA. Way more travel, way more nightlife, way more women being thrown at you, and you're on your own. You know, unless you are living with your parents once you get to the NBA, most of these guys are living on their own. So there's so much more that goes into being a successful NBA player than just being able to dribble or shoot a three or break a guy down or run the pick and roll. There's so much more. Fit, organization, your mental game, so much more goes into it. And I mentioned, look, it seemed like most of the guys that were drafted were drafted right around within one to four picks of where they were expected to be drafted in most mock drafts outside of, like I said, Jet Howard, who's Jawan Howard's son, projected in most mock drafts to go early 20s to mid-20s. And I think Cam Whitmore out of Villanova, the freshman, the one-and-done freshman out of Villanova, he was expected to go higher. They were saying he was possibly top 10, and he went 20th to Houston. So they got Amen, they got Amen Thompson and Cam Whitmore. I'd say they made out pretty well. It was a pretty good draft for the Houston Rockets. I'm not going to sit here and grade everybody's draft because, again, that's like grading recruiting classes. It's like, great. If they were a five-star in high school, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to play like a five-star in college. So grading, you know, the Georgia Bulldogs recruiting class or the Alabama Crimson Tide recruiting class, it's like, okay, they're going to get the most five stars, so clearly you're going to give them an A, you know, because that's all you're basing it on is, well, who signed the most five stars or who signed the most four stars? For this, you don't know. These guys all are talented, 
but we don't know until they tip it off next year how these guys are going to be because there's so many examples over the years of guys that were picked mid to late first round, second round picks, and ended up being stars in the NBA. The best player in the NBA right now, Nikola Jokic, was picked 41st by the Denver Nuggets, and zero people thought he was going to be what he was today. So, now granted, he's the exception more than the rule, but we've had the number one pick in the draft literally flame out numerous times. And I don't think Victor's flaming out, but could Brandon Miller possibly get to the NBA and just be a guy? For sure. It seems like Brandon Miller is very similar to uh, the kid out of Auburn last year that went to the Rockets. I'm already forgetting his name, but who everyone was just like in love with him, and he jumped up the boards last year, and the Rockets got him with, the I think, the third pick. And he didn't really have a great rookie season. Didn't shoot as well as everyone thought he was going to be. I think Scoot Henderson's going to be really good. The Thompson twins, from everything I've read, they can't shoot. They're super athletic, and they're the most athletic kids in the draft. But apparently they can't shoot. And we see what happens when you get to the NBA. The NBA is all about matchups. If Amen or Asar are on the court, and there's less than three minutes to go in the game, and they can't shoot outside of 10 feet, that's going to be difficult for their team offensively because whoever they're playing is just going to back off them and dare them to shoot. So you got to be able to score in uh, when you get to the NBA. Uh, there's Yes, there's some roles here for just strictly defensive players and rebounders and shot blockers, but uh, it still hurts you on the offensive end because you're basically playing four on five. But I am excited to watch a lot of these guys play I think Jalen hood Shafino going to the Lakers at 17. I have a kid out of Indiana. I thought he was really good at Indiana. I really like his game. Jaime Jaquez at UCLA going to Heat. I mean, if there was a more perfect player for Miami Heat culture, I can't think of it because Jaime Jaquez is that person. I watched that kid for four years at UCLA. The amount of times UCLA was on national television and making runs in the tournament. Just a solid all-around player. Jaime Hawkins is going to be a 10-year NBA vet. That's that's what I think. I might totally be wrong and he could be out of the league in three years. I don't know. But having watched him play, there is a role for that guy in the NBA. Absolutely. If he plays and he doesn't get hurt, I absolutely think that there's a role for him. So those are the ones that kind of jumped out to me when I look at the draft. And finally, just want to end with this. So remember when I was really, really upset last week at the Oakland A's because I was so pissed off that they were sitting there at, what, 12 and they were, what, 12 and 50? That was their record? Yeah, they were. Remember, they were 12 and 50. I'm like, this team is literally the worst team in the history of professional sports, of the major four sports. We're heading for a winning percentage that we've never seen before in all of sports. And then they fucking went out and won seven in a row. And they went to 19 and 50. And I'm like, Jesus, how does a team that's 12 and 50 win seven games in a row? Well, they must have listened to my podcast and said, yeah, you know what, guys? We're not this good. We should not be winning baseball games. You know what they've done since they won seven in a row? Lost eight in a row. (laughs) That's the Oakland A's team that we want to see. 
That's who they are. Now they are, so they were 12 and 50, won seven in a row. That made them 19 and 50. Now they've lost eight in a row. They're 19 and 58. They're back to having the worst record in all of baseball. They are playing 247 baseball. And I mean, doing the math off the top of my head, so 19 and 58. Uh, that means they've played 77 games, so they have uh, 85 left. So if they won 19 of their first 77 and they have 85 left, uh, they're still looking at a possible, I mean, they're on pace for probably 41, 42 wins, right? Maybe less, 40 wins. I mean, 40 and 122 would look great. <laughs> I hope that's what they get to. But, man, this is, a, this is a bad, bad team. But it's nice seeing when you look at the standings for Major League Baseball and you look at the streaks for every team, it's nice seeing L8 next to the Oakland A's, which means lost eight in a row. Good job, A's. That's what we want from you. Anyway, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Please subscribe in Apple Podcasts. It's much appreciated. And please follow and rate and review as well on Apple Podcasts. That helps the podcast. The Daily Roundup is up if in the uh, Reality C podcast feed if you want to check that out. But I hope you all have a great sports weekend. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television.